This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. The family in America, it's under a more ferocious attack today than ever before. We have no-fault divorce, abortion on demand, an epidemic of -of out-of-wedlock births and absentee fathers. We've got cohabitation, the creation of so-called homosexual marriage from the Supreme Court, and now an ever-growing downward spiral of attacks on the very concept of male and female. And this, in turn, has caused an increasing hostility, as we know, and barrage of attacks on Christianity and on Christian families. How do we raise our kids in these days? And how do we trust the Lord to keep them faithful to God's word? It is all about a godly legacy. And we're going to discuss it today with author and biblical apologist Ken Ham, president and founder of Answers in Genesis and the Creation Museum, as well as the Great Ark Encounter. He is out with a wonderful book called Will They Stand? Parenting Kids to Face the Giants. Ken, so good to have you here again. How are you? Well, Janet, it's great to be with you. Yes, I'm doing really well, and uh, it's great to see all these people coming to the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter, and, uh, you know, we need to shine some light in this very dark culture. Oh, amen to that, and I'm I'm thrilled to hear that, because when I was with you not too long ago, it was just, it was a fantastic experience coming out and being with you there at Ark Encounter and seeing everything you offer there. Just wonderful. This is a more personal book for you than you've normally written, and I know you say that in the intro here, but this issue of the Christian family family obviously is personal to you. What what are your main concerns right now about the state of the family in America and the Western world? Well, first of all, you know, the family is the first and most fundamental of all human institutions, which God ordained in Scripture. And the family is the unit God uses to transmit knowledge from one generation to the next and to the world around. But what we're seeing is uh, a departure of the younger generation's in, into a more secular worldview, and we're losing the impact of godly generations impacting the culture. You know, one of the things we should be doing as parents is to raise up godly offspring who will marry godly offspring, who will raise up godly offspring to marry godly offspring and to impact the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. But instead, what are we seeing? If you look at church attendance in America, I mean, the greatest generation, those born before 1928, 52% of them went to church. Then as you go down through the silent, the baby boomers, and then Generation X, and then to the millennials, millennials, it's only 18%. And then Generation Z, you know, the work George Barnes has done on them has shown they are twice as atheist as any previous generation, the first truly post-Christian generation. The bottom line is, There's been an incredible failure in the church in our Western world, an incredible failure of the church in America, because we're losing the coming generations. And as they are lost to the world and become more secular in their thinking, we're seeing a consequence in the culture itself as the culture uh, becomes more and more 
uh, of a culture of moral relativism permeating people's thinking, and we see uh, an anti-Christian emphasis that's growing. And really, it comes down to the fact that families are losing the coming generations. Well, they are, and it's so disturbing to look at some of those Barna statistics that you've just mentioned. Yet you come from a godly legacy yourself. I know that this has had a very big, big impact, not only on you, but also on your ministry. But you talk a little bit in the book, not only about your family, but the lack of churches in the cities that you lived in, making it hard to find one that stood on the authority of God's word. And now it would seem a lot of people listening say, I'm having the same problem now here in the United States. Well, you know, Janet, um, one of the most asked questions we get asked, in fact, if you talk to all of our speakers, they speak at the Ark in Town or the Creation Museum, or we speak in churches uh, across the world, although not as much right now with all the shutdowns and so on, but nonetheless, uh, we've spoken in a lot of places. And then with all the emails we get and letters we get, you know the most asked question we're being asked, you know, it's not where did Cain get his wife or what about the dinosaurs or, I mean, we get asked all sorts of questions, but the most asked question we're really getting asked is, do you know a church? in our area that stands on God's word like you do that I can take my children to that'll be taught apologetics that'll be taught how to defend the Christian faith and a Christian worldview and doesn't compromise God's word and and stands against you know LGBTQ and abortion I mean that's really the the, the main question that we're getting asked and it does in a sense remind me of when I was brought up in Australia I was brought up in you know, a very pagan country, but my parents stood on the authority of God's word, and often we were transferred to towns because my father was a teacher that only had one church or maybe two, and invariably they were affected by liberal theology. Yeah. And my father was all the time searching what the liberal theologians were teaching and judging what they were teaching or what the pastor at the church was teaching against the absolute authority of the word of God teaching us how to answer the attacks on God's Word. He was teaching us apologetics and teaching us how all our doctrine comes from God's Word. You know, because of the way my father and and mother taught us as children, that really is why we have an Answers in Genesis ministry and a Creation Museum and an Ark Encounter. It's really a legacy of parents who taught their children using biblical principles, not what the world says, but using biblical principles to train their children to stand on the authority of the Word of God boldly, courageously, to defend the Christian faith and to be able to be a witness to the world as we should be. Well, do you think what was driving your father was not only biblical conviction about what he was passing on to you, but also the concern that he had as a father being in a pagan culture? In other words, did the pagan culture in which you grew up motivate him any more in your view to do what he did to make sure you were grounded in the Word of God? Oh, definitely. And he... He really knew the scriptures and knew uh, what it's like uh, to be in a pagan culture and how, as you, as you read through the Old Testament and then the New Testament, you know, but as you read through even what was happening in the Old Testament, how it was, it was so easy for the pagan cultures to drag people away from the Word of God and to drag their children away. I mean, one of the examples, and I use it uh, in the book, is of Joshua crossing the Jordan River. And when they cross the Jordan River, then God tells them to take 12 stones and build a memorial. So when their children ask, what do these stones mean? Then they're told, don't forget to tell them what God has done. These stones will be a memorial to you and for the children to remind them what God has done and to remind the world to be an impact on the world as well. 
And then we read later on how Joshua dies, the elders with him die, and then there arose the next generation who served Baal. In other words, they lost it in one generation. It only takes one generation to lose a culture. And, mm-hmm. you know, my father was very aware that uh, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and that his job as a parent was to do his best to fill us with biblical truth to stand on God's word because of our sin nature and because the devil was out to capture our kids. He knew he had to work hard at that. And he and my mum both spent a lot of time uh, in training us in the in the things of God and a lot of time also bringing in missionaries to be a witness to others because they wanted to reach other children uh, with the truth of God's word. And so it's really important to understand what God God's word says, and that you know, that's always been the emphasis of this ministry. It's always been the emphasis from my parents, and that is, what does God's word say? Judge everything against God. What God's word says. When when my wife and I had our first child, and he was born, then we realized, wait a minute, what are we, what are we going to do with this child? <laughs> and then, because of the way uh, my parents taught us, well, okay, what does God's word say about how to bring up children? What does God's word say about how to educate them? Not what some psychologist said necessarily, or some book of someone said, but what does God's Word say? And so that's always been the emphasis of this ministry, and that's the emphasis of this book. What does God's Word say are the principles we should use as parents to train our children? Well, that's right. That's really the beginning of it, isn't it, to really communicate to Christian parents, give this some thought, don't take it lightly, don't just send your kids to youth group and hope for the best. I mean, we look at those Barna statistics, and that just underscores how important it is for God's first unit, the family, to be the primary discipler of children. Well, education starts in the home. You know, those children, what does Scripture say? They're an heritage from the Lord. They're a gift to us as parents to train for the Lord. Now, we can have others help us, whether it's people in the church or or whatever, but the primary responsibility of education is given to the parents. And as I say in this as a challenge, given to the fathers. Now, that doesn't mean mothers don't get involved, but what does Scripture say over and over again? The fathers to the children shall make known thy truth. Fathers, bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If you read Psalm 78, fathers teach your children so they'll not forget to teach their children. Fathers teach your children so they'll not forget to teach their children. And then sadly, we read how fathers didn't teach their children, and that's why they lost it in one yep. generation. You're right. Ken, hang on just a moment. Will They Stand is the name of the book from Ken Ham. We'll be coming right back on Janet Meffer today. The healthcare open enrollment period has ended in most states. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up for Liberty HealthShare. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up now with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not in insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT or 855-585-4237. 
Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candace talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. Preborn currently has seven centers without ultrasound machines. Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost $15,000, more than most centers can afford. But right now, through a matching grant, your donation of $7,500 will place a machine in a needy women's center in your area. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Thank you for being with us. Great to have you here. Great to have with us Ken Ham, president of Answers in Genesis and also author of the new book, Will They Stand? Parenting Kids to Face the Giants. We're talking about not only the decline of the family, but the key role that parents have, especially fathers, in making sure that we raise kids who can face the giants that are assaulting the family and Christianity in general. Ken, you had mentioned this important point, and that is, yes, it's the role of the parents to make sure that they are training their children in the Lord. But but the role of the father is particularly important. And it always seems like we're coming up against a lot of men who say, I just am not qualified to do this. I just, I can't speak very well and I don't really know the Bible that well. How do you encourage men to take on that role in a biblical context to the benefit of their children, their entire families? Oh, you know, Janet, this is one of the big problems I think we've had uh, in Christian families. And that is sadly, Uh, In the majority of instances, I believe the fathers have not taken on their God-given, God-commanded responsibility to be the head of their house, the spiritual head, to be a priest to their family. And I know, I just want to say a little aside, I know that in a sin-cursed universe, you know, there's all sorts of situations and there can be some single-parent families and so on who, you know, God gives a special measure of grace to and the church should get behind and help and so on. But we're talking about the family as God intended the family to be. And I've actually been at churches where I've had someone come to me. I remember one man, he came to me, he had six children, and he had tears in his eyes, and he said, my father never taught me how to train my children. I don't know how to do it. How, how do I do that? And sadly, I think a lot of churches aren't even doing that. And so, you know, like in this book, I, I put down some of the some of the principles for us to understand. And, and I, I do want to say to fathers out there, look, there's a lot of helps out there for for us today. One of the things we do at the Answers in Genesis ministry is to provide a lot of apologetics material to help parents to train their children with the answers to the skeptical questions of our age that undermine the authority of the Word of God. You know, we have a Bible curriculum we're producing for for homeschool. It can be used for those that don't even homeschool, just to use as a home devotional curriculum, but to walk you through the whole Bible and teach doctrine and worldview. And You know, you don't have to be a PhD expert or something like that to do this. But, you know, first of all, you know, a basic principle, you know, when when our first son was born, I I use the example that he didn't look up at me, you know, right after he was born and and say, hey, Dad, what do you use eschatology and soteriology and so on? (laughs) You know, he... We, we know that the knowledge of God is, is sort of written on our hearts. We, we have a conscience. Uh, Romans 1 and Romans 2 explains that. We know what's right and what's wrong. But our job as parents is to fill them with biblical truth. 
and to fill them with salt as uncontaminated as possible. I use the example of Vegemite, that Australian exotic food that Americans hate. <laughs> it's a it's a black paste. It's very salty. You put on you know a cracker with butter or you know a piece of bread with butter. And but we were we were trained from a young age. Our parents taught us to acquire a taste for Vegemite. They put some in our mouth at, when we were little babies, and we grew up loving Vegemite. Mm-hmm. We learned to acquire a taste for it. And when you've acquired that taste when you're young, it's with you uh, basically for the rest of your life. Apply that to what Paul said to Timothy, that from a child you have known the scriptures. You know, one of the things my wife and I recognized is our job as parents is to put in the salt of biblical truth. I mean, Mark 9.50 says, had salt in yourselves. You know, our kids can't be the salt of the earth until they're filled with salt. And Matthew 5 has a warning, contaminated salt destroys. So we are to fill them with that biblical truth right from a young age. And so right from a young age, you know, we would open up uh, Christian books and some of our dinosaur books and other such books and, and show them to the kids. Even as little babies, people thought we were nuts and we'd show them the pictures. They grew up loving those pictures and then we were able to paraphrase what it was saying to them and then eventually read what it was saying to them and then eventually they would read those books and they became their favorite books. And, and so right from a young age, we were teaching them apologetics, teaching them, teaching them answers to the skeptical questions, teaching them about even evolution and millions of years, how wrong it was. And teaching them the truth from God's word about Adam and Eve and marriage and, and gender. I mean, right from a young age, we should be doing that. And starting with the book of Genesis, which is the foundation for the rest of the Bible. And, you know, doing it the way God says to do it. And then recognizing, as Deuteronomy 6 tells us, you know, you're to train your children when you walk, when you, when you lie down, when you rise up, when you sit down. Everything you do, you're to reflect Christ, reflect that Christian worldview. And so I, I encourage parents to make sure they're training their children foundationally from God's Word to have a Christian worldview and foundationally from the book of Genesis, which is foundational of all our doctrine, equipping them with answers to defend the Christian faith against the attacks of our age. Yeah, we have to. What are your thoughts right now, Ken, on the present state of Christian education and homeschooling? I mean, we've seen big leaps in the numbers of parents who have opted to homeschool in the COVID-19 era. I don't know how many of those parents will continue to do so if and when this pandemic ever lifts. But how do you see the, the present trajectory on, you know, faithful to the word of God, Christian education? If people go to a Christian school, I know, so, you know, some of the colleges we, we've done interviews on this before the state on a lot of a lot of these Christian colleges that have gone off the rails but generally speaking for K through 12 how do you think Christian schools are doing and and homeschoolers are doing well interesting question Janet and uh, you got an hour uh, yeah, sure let's, <laughs> let's try and do it in a minute or two here but First of all, you know, sadly, the majority of Christian schools, not all, I mean, we have our own Christian school that our eldest daughter started here at Answers in Genesis called 12 Stones Christian Academy, but it's, it's teaching those children a true biblical worldview, starting from God's Word, equipping them to defend the Christian faith. A lot of Christian schools abuse secular textbooks, and by using secular textbooks, they're trying to add God to that. You can't Christianize a secular philosophy. It's either secular or it's Christian. And if you look at the statistics, the majority of kids kids, we're losing from the church and from those Christian schools. They're not going on uh, with uh, Christianity as, as we want them to. And so there is a major problem there, I mean, because and a lot of Christian schools have teachers that that's 
teach evolution and millions of years. You know, there are there are a minority of Christian schools out there that are great, that stand on God's Word, but the majority do not as they should. And then even in the homeschool movement, I've noticed in recent times with the homeschool conferences that there's more and more people who are infiltrating the homeschool movement. It, it originally started more as a Christian movement, but now there's a lot of secular people getting involved because they're concerned about what's happening to their kids in the public schools, and they want more of a secularized philosophy in the, in the homeschool movement. And I see at a lot of these homeschool conferences that a lot of the material that's being sold is, is secular, and a lot of parents don't know even how to discern that. And if you can homeschool your kids, but if you're not teaching them the, a, a Christian worldview, not just not just teach them either the Bible on you know Mondays and Tuesdays, whatever it is, but a whole worldview in every area founded on God's Word. And if you're not equipping them with apologetics to defend the Christian faith, uh, you're still going to have the same problems that that we've had when they're in the public school. Because yeah. I've seen that, and so th- there's a big difference here between just taking your kids out of some system and teaching them different things than teaching them a truly biblical worldview. That, that's the emphasis that, that we're bringing. Is, it's not just a matter of adding God to their thinking or you know, having some Bible stories. It's a matter of understanding that Genesis 1 to 11, for instance, has the origin of gender, male and female, the origin of marriage, that man is made in the image of God that pertains to the abortion issue, uh, to, to understand that it's the foundation for, for why we're sinners and what that means and why there's death in the world. In other words, you've got to have that foundation for your Christian worldview. And what we do. How do you see the growing anti-Christian hostility in our culture potentially impacting the Christian family, even within the next few years? Well, you know, Janet, um, we we see right now that anti-Christian emphasis that's growing, and it's a direct attack on the family with uh, all these, you know, the gender issues and the gay marriage issue, the LGBTQ movement, the abortion issue, and so on. And uh, unfortunately, for a lot of families, uh, they're losing their children. I mean, I've, I've had many adults tell me, you know, our grandkids don't go to church or our kids are not going to church. And if we don't really work hard... To, to do what God tells us to do, to raise up those those godly offspring. We're going to lose the coming generations, and therefore we'll lose the impact on the culture uh, that we should be having. And there's been an incredible attack on the family. In many, in many ways, parents have handed their kids over to the public education system that has become very antagonistic to Christianity. It's very atheistic, and we've let them train those kids. Our kids have spent more time in that system than we do at home training them as parents, or they do at church, and then we wonder why we're losing them. Parents are going to have to take control of the education of their kids, and they've got to recognize you can't take anything to heaven with you but your kids. You can take your kids to heaven with you, and they're beings that are going to live forever in heaven or hell. That should really spur parents to realize how important it is to take on that God-given responsibility. We're losing this culture from a Christian perspective, and it's because we've allowed the culture to capture generations of our kids. Yeah, and what strikes me about what you're saying and what you said earlier is the Christian family, it would seem, will become even more vital and more important as the church, the visible church, becomes less faithful, as you were discussing earlier, where a lot of people are writing to you and saying, I can't find a church that stands on the authority of God's word in my area. What do I do? That's when the family becomes even more important and it's more vital for Christian parents to do the job that God called them to do. 
Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we are to raise up those godly children so that they will impact the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the legacy we shall be leaving. And we've got to recognize as, as the world, and what we're seeing actually, Janet, if I can say this, we're growing up now, we're seeing the real world. The real world is the Broadway. The real world is when, where men love darkness rather than light. And I think it's making people start to realize this is the real world. I can't let them capture my kids. I need to raise up children to be able to leave a legacy that will impact this world for the Lord Jesus Christ. This is more important than ever before, Amen. and they need to make it more serious than ever before. Amen. Ken Ham from Answers in Genesis. Visit AnswersInGenesis.org. The name of the book, Will They Stand? Always great to talk to you, Ken. God bless you. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks a lot, Janet. Bye-bye. You bet. God bless. Bye-bye. We'll be back. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Everywhere I go, I'm seeing people putting up signs about 2020, see you later, we won't miss you, we can't wait to leave 2020 behind, and they're saying things like that, I can't wait to see 2020 in the rearview mirror. I think a lot of us feel that way because of how lousy 2020 has been in so many ways due to the pandemic and all the unrest, the Black Lives Matter and the looting and rioting and the presidential election mess. So a lot of us are looking forward to seeing 2020 in the rearview mirror. But might I just say, we don't know what 2021 holds. And I think it's a little early to be throwing confetti in the air when we finally get to January 1st. And the reason I say this is because now that we have a vaccine for COVID-19, it seems to be opening up the doors to a whole new era of tyranny. Let me give you an example of this from the New York Times. This is just out. Here's the headline. Employers can require workers to get COVID-19 vaccine, U.S. says. The Federal Equal Employment Opportunity Commission said employees could be barred from the workplace if they refuse the vaccine. Whatever happened in my body, my choice? Seems to work for the feminists when they want to talk about murdering children in the womb. My body, my choice. Why can't we invoke that for a vaccine? I think it ought to be voluntary. Why shouldn't it be voluntary? It's your body, right? Well, you don't have the right to infect anybody else. That's funny. People on the left who are talking about that would never invoke that kind of logic when you're talking about a child in the womb. Well, you're affecting somebody's life if you kill him, aren't you? No, my body, my choice. And in our case, it really is only our bodies, not the bodies of our children. Let me share a little bit of this article with you. Employers can require workers to get this COVID-19 vaccine and bar them from the workplace if they refuse. This is according to EEOC guidelines that have just been issued. Public health experts see employers as playing an important role in vaccinating enough people to reach herd immunity and get a handle on a pandemic that has killed more than 300,000 Americans. 
um, herd immunity. I'm still wondering how we're going to reach herd immunity and COVID is going to be no big deal when we still have the flu every year. I'm trying to figure that one out. Onward. Widespread coronavirus vaccinations would keep people from dying, restart the economy, and usher a return to some form of normalcy, experts say. I'm going to come back to that. Employers had been waiting for the guidance from the EEOC, which is the agency enforcing laws against workplace discrimination because requiring employees to be tested for the coronavirus touches on some thorny medical and privacy issues that are covered by the Americans with Disabilities Act. The guidance confirmed what the lawyers expected. Businesses and employers are uniquely positioned to require large numbers of Americans who otherwise would not receive a vaccination to do so because their employment depends on it. This is the stuff that people talk about, you know, or talked about maybe a year ago and someone would go, how's your tinfoil hat? Nobody is going to tell you you can't have a job without the vaccine. And here it is in the New York Times, hardly a conservative publication. Now, I want to give you an example of some things that are being said out there by the pundits, the health experts, I should say. The health experts turned constant cable TV pundits. Let's listen, for example, to something that occurred a few days ago over on MSNBC. Dr. Vin Gupta was on. He's a University of Washington assistant professor, critical care physician, talking about the coronavirus. I want you to listen to what he said about vaccination for the coronavirus. This is cut one. Just for your viewers out there, um, I, I know one of uh, the, the individuals who we just saw getting vaccinated is planning on traveling after the second dose. I, I, th- this is a source of confusion, but no, I, I, this is one of the misperceptions here. Just because you get vaccinated with that second dose does not mean you should be participating in things like traveling in the middle of an out-of-control pandemic or that you're liberated from masks. Mm-hmm. Everything still applies until all of us get the two-dose regimen. We don't think that's going to happen until June, July. But And again, this goes back to what we just talked about, Chuck. We don't know if just getting the vaccination prevents serious illness or does it also prevent you from getting infection um, entirely, meaning you can still get infected with the virus potentially and pass it on to others. So really, really critical. Don't let your guard down just because you got vaccinated. You still might be able to get right. infected with the virus and pass on others. So please keep that in mind. In other words, there's no hope. There's no hope. The goalposts keep moving. It was 15 days to slow the spread. And look where we are now. Even if you have a COVID-19 vaccine until all of us get it, you still have to wear the mask. Doesn't mean you should travel. You can't travel. You can't take that mask off just because you've had a vaccine. What, What is it that we are going to be able to do to go back to being free people? Every single human being in the United States of America has to have a vaccine. First of all, that's never going to happen. That's never going to happen for a lot of reasons. First of all, not everybody's going to submit to that because not everybody works in a workplace that would require it. I don't believe every single employer will require their workers to get a COVID-19 vaccine because I think there still are some clear thinking people who don't want to trample on other people's freedoms that way. But there are people who work from home who wouldn't be in that category. And there are also people for health reasons who would not want to get the COVID-19 vaccine for various reasons. So you're never going to get 100% of people taking the vaccine. Never. Unless you hold them all down and force them to get it against their will, you're never going to get 100% compliance. Does that mean we never are going to get these masks off our faces? By the way, I'm not wearing one. This is the beauty of radio. But really, is there any freedom in the future? 
Or is this just all headed toward one big, great reset? Of course it is. Let's listen to the comments just a few days ago from good old coronavirus expert himself, Dr. Anthony Fauci. They had a little Sesame Street CNN town hall for kids and parents on the coronavirus. And this little child asked Dr. Fauci a question. Listen carefully to this exchange. Cut four. After my grandparents get the vaccine, but I have not, can I still go visit them without wearing a mask? Well, if your grandparent gets it, you still need to be careful and wear a mask because until we get this blanket of protection over everyone, you can't be absolutely certain that there isn't virus there. So uh, vaccines are extremely important to ending this outbreak. But until we get the full component of almost everyone vaccinated, we can't abandon the common public health measures of wearing a mask. So yes, you still should be wearing a mask. So grandma and grandpa will have the vaccine. Presumably that means they can't get COVID-19. But of course, we already heard Dr. Van Gupta say just because you got the vaccine doesn't mean you can take off your mask. Why don't you guys just come clean and say you're never taking that thing off? Just be honest with people. Quit moving the goalposts and quit giving people hope. And then when they reach that particular moment in time where they believe that they have finally met the criteria for moving forward in their lives, you move the goalposts again. Quit doing that. Tell the truth to the American people. Of course, let's go back to March 8th. This was Dr. Fauci on March 8th. Cut three. People should not be walking around with masks. You're sure of it, because people are listening really closely to this. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a, a droplet, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. And often, there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask, and they keep touching their face. And can you get some schmutz sort of staying inside there? Of course. It's interesting because Senator Rand Paul said just just yesterday, if Fauci has his way, you'll never give up on the mask. It's all about submission. They want you to submit to their will, whether there's any science. In fact, like on schools, he said, I've been telling Fauci for six months. The evidence is that if you open schools, you will not get a surge. The whole world accepts it, except for Dr. Fauci. And he finally accepted it last week, six months, he said, after I started to show him the evidence. Fauci is all over the map. He's the same guy who is sitting in the stands at a baseball game, yucking it up with people who were no more than six inches away from him with no mask over his face. Which is it, Dr. Fauci? No masks or masks forever? Ah, it just kind of depends on the circumstances and what he feels like saying. These are the people we're going to trust with our freedoms? No way. I have a lot more to say. We'll come back right after this on Janet Meffer Today. Do 
Did you know that bible believers around the world are praying to receive their very own copy of God's Word? Through the Ministry of Bible League International, you can send those Bibles today. Hear from Meng in Vietnam. If they don't have Bible, how they can find the truth? Because the Bible like a map to bring them to find the truth. And many people, they are really uh, hungry for the Word of God and then they need the Bible. Nepo is a pastor in Ghana praying for Bibles for former Muslim radicals now following Christ. Anna was forced into an arranged marriage to an abusive atheist in Albania, but her godly witness changed his heart and now he needs a Bible. Emilio lost everything after his home was burned by terrorists in Mexico, and he's praying for a Bible to share Christ with others. Will you be the answer to these pleas for God's Word? $5 sends one Bible, $50 sends 10, and because of a matching gift right now, your gift will be doubled. Call 800 yes word 800 yes word 800 yes word or there's a banner to click at janetmeffer.com the Ministry of Preborn is the largest provider of free heartbeats for moms in crisis in the USA. When a mother chooses life, preborn centers are there to help with the baby's needs, counseling, and so much more, free of charge. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life would be without her. The Ministry of Preborn is the largest nationwide provider of free ultrasounds for expectant moms in crisis. There's just something about seeing your own baby's heartbeat that moves a mom's heart toward life like nothing else. Will you please help support Preborn in the cause for life? One ultrasound is just $28, or five ultrasounds are $140. And now through a matching gift, your gift will be doubled, rescuing 10 babies' lives. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. That's 855-402-BABY. Or there's a preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, we've been talking about COVID tyranny, particularly concerning the vaccine. I think we're going to begin to see more employers requiring you to get the vaccine or you can't work there. The EEOC, as I was saying before the break, has now issued guidance for employers. And they said, yeah. Don't worry about the Americans with Disabilities Act. You can require your workers to get a COVID-19 vaccine or ban them from the workplace if they won't. You know, why is it that the employers get to make the decision for my body? They don't make us get flu vaccines. They don't make us get measles vaccines in all of the workplaces I've ever been in. They've never asked me for my shot records. Why would they ask me for shot records on this? Not that I'm in that position necessarily, but here's the point. This is a virus with a 99.4% recovery rate for the highest vulnerability, uh, in, in other words, the elderly. You, have, you still have overwhelming odds of being able to recover from COVID-19. Not that it's a pleasant experience and not that we don't mourn the deaths of the 300,000 people who have died from it. It's terrible. A lot of people die from the flu as well. And we mourn those deaths. It has nothing to do with that. But at some point, the people who are screaming about science need to actually follow it. And Senator Rand Paul is making that point. He's been making that point. A lot of people have been making that point. We've been bringing you the information on some of the studies done about the masks, for example. And you'll recall that we had that study, that massive Danish study, finding the recommendation to wear masks did not provide statistically significant reduction in infection rates. And this 
this was reported back in uh, November. And, and now we have a new study that's just come out. I want to tell you about this. This is over at Town Hall reporting on the fact that you've got some new data that's come out about the differences between areas that had mask mandates and areas that did not. And the headline on the piece is the new study shows mask mandates had zero effect in Florida or nationwide, but the lie continues. Now, this is very interesting because this is a a team at Rational Ground. They just did a comprehensive data analysis of masked versus non-masked counties in the state. A total of 22 of 67 counties in the state have implemented a mask order. This is in Florida at some point during the period of May 1st through December 15th. Now, it may not sound like many, but these include almost all of Florida's largest metro areas. To be more than fair, if an area added a mask order at some point during the outbreak, The study's authors gave a 14-day period to allow time for cases to begin subsiding. They said cases were summed for both mandate and non-mandate jurisdictions and adjusted per 100,000 people for days the mandates were or were not in effect. So this is about the methodology involved. If masks did even close to as advertised, one would expect to see the counties that went maskless to be absolute dumpster fires next to the counties that implemented mandates, right? So in other words, if masks worked, then you would see it in the data. You would see way higher rates of COVID-19 cases and presumably deaths in areas where they did not have mask mandates if, in fact, masks worked. So how did it go? This is what they said. When counties did have a mask mandate in effect, there were 667,000 cases over some 3,100 days with an average of 23 cases per 100,000 per day. When counties did not have a countywide order, there were 438,000 cases over 12,000 days with an average of 22 cases per 100,000 per day. I know that's a lot of numbers, but this is the upshot. Counties with mask mandates in place did worse than those that refused to implement them. Look at California. Look at California. Who has been more locked down than California? Where has the tyranny been greater than in California? And look at the case searches that are going on in that state. If, if you're doing something that isn't working, you might want to change what you're doing. Unless you have reasons beyond health that are driving you to do what you're doing. Hence, we have Fauci. Oh, oh, it's going to be so great when we finally get a vaccine. We just need a vaccine. Stay tuned. We are going to get that vaccine and then life is going to be great. Now it's just because we have a vaccine doesn't mean you can stop wearing your mask. Well, why? Why why do you have to wear why why do you have to wear a mask at all if you have no symptoms? Asymptomatic spread is not much of a thing at all. So why do you have to wear a mask all the time? Go back to flu season. When it's flu season, and in prior years, if I were out and about and it was flu season and I saw somebody who looked sick and was coughing and making noises like he or she was coming down with something, I would distance myself. That's what any intelligent person does if you're around somebody who appears to be sick. And if I am sick, I try not to go out in public because I don't want anybody else to get sick. Plus, I don't feel good. So I don't want to go out and do my errands. I want to be in bed. When did the government get the right to lock down sick people? I just want to know because I've never seen anybody actually answer that question. Now, back to this study. This is very interesting. 
in Florida, I just gave you the data from Rational Ground, but then they went on to compare national numbers, pitting the states that resisted the urge to impose a statewide mask mandate against those who masked up. Here's what they found. When states did have a mandate in effect, there were more than 9.6 million cases over 5,900 days, averaging 27 cases per 100,000 per day. When states did not have a statewide order, there were 5.7 million cases over 57 700 days, averaging 17 cases per 100,000 people per day. Here's the here's the key. The mandates have much higher case numbers than the areas that don't have mask mandates. This is data evidence that mask mandates do little to nothing to stop or even slightly curb the spread of COVID-19. Are we allowed to talk about this? Not to mention which, I'm going to hold Fauci to the fire here, his feet to the fire here. The Guardian was reporting on this same town hall that they did with kids and parents telling you about COVID-19 and what you ought to be doing. And Fauci said he vaccinated Santa children. So no need for that. He said, I took a trip up there to the North Pole. I went there and I vaccinated Santa Claus myself. I measured his level of immunity and he's good to go. He can come down the chimney. He can leave the presents. He can leave and you have nothing to worry about. Santa Claus is good to go. Hey, wait a minute. Dr. Fauci, how in the world can you give Santa Claus carte blanche to go on his rounds if he's not wearing a mask? And Dr. Gupta said, just because Santa got the vaccine doesn't mean that he can get out of travel. I mean, he shouldn't be traveling. That's what Dr. Gupta said. Somebody needs to keep Santa at the North Pole. Just because you got those two doses, Santa, doesn't mean you're free to travel. I'm sorry, but you're stuck at the North Pole. You can hunker down with Mrs. Claus and the elves and enjoy yourself at the North Pole and isolate just like the rest of us. What are you doing flying around on that sleigh, exposing people to COVID-19, Santa? See, these people can't even keep their own stories straight. Makes me crazy. Now, here's another interesting piece of this. This is a story from uh, an Iowa website, why some Iowans won't get the Pfizer coronavirus vaccine. And it's interesting to look at some of the stats. There was a Staten Island protest that they don't want the COVID-19 vaccine to be required for students or teachers to attend school. That's going to be another area where people are going to have to pay attention, whether or not your school will require a vaccine for your child. And depending on which state you live in, it will vary. But they said in the New York Post that New York Teachers for Choice is circulating a petition that opposes a vaccine mandate for educators that lawmakers could propose in January. And they're saying that the lawmakers are making decisions based more on big pharma and lobbying and money than anything else. But back to the Iowa story, one of the people they quote in here is Dr. Lee Merritt, who's been out and about an orthopedic surgeon, who says... In the past here, the same thing about the masks. Listen to this cut. This is cut two. And as that, I researched bioweapons and all sorts of stuff and masks. And I'm going to tell you, in my entire professional career, I have never heard anybody actually believe that these kind of, any kind of masks, short of a, a, an actual level four containment suit, made a difference to small particle viruses. In fact, the CDC itself just published an article in May exactly saying that. They cannot, con- you cannot contain uh, influenza with these masks, and that's even larger than this virus. Now, I'm, and, and I reviewed all this science. I gave a talk out in Nevada last month, and it's online, YouTube, medical technocracy in my name, and you can look at all the sciencey stuff. Um, my conclusion, looking at all the uh, redoing the, my investigation in this this time, is that people that are now purporting to scientifically prove masks work are either being paid or being played. This just doesn't work this way. 
Very interesting. And something else that she pointed out is she strongly believes hydroxychloroquine is one of the best treatment options for COVID-19. Why isn't anybody talking about that? And she said, we've maybe made some assumptions in the past about vaccines being the be all end all of how we get through the world. But why not concentrate on some of the medicines that can be given to people who contract the virus? There are a lot of moving parts to this entire issue. But the bottom line is, as free American citizens, we cannot allow ourselves to be tyrannized by these people. We just can't. If we have not learned our lesson by now, I don't know if we'll ever learn it, but we have to use our brains Understanding none of us like this virus. We don't want anybody to die, but viruses spread. You got to use your brain. If you want to get a vaccine, you can. But mandatory vaccines, no way. Nope, 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 nope. We got to go. Thanks for being with us. God bless you. And we'll see you next time.